anyway, God bless you guys. I'm, I'm so blessed that you're here. Um, if, if you're watching us online, God bless you. We, we hope and pray that the Spirit of the Lord is, is with you and, and the, the word that the Lord has for us today uh, touches us. Um, I ask and pray that you have a some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today may be a little disheartening. You may be a little concerned about it, but I pray that you receive it without a spirit of fear because we don't. Ha- the Lord's not given us a spirit of fear, right? So with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come together. Lord, I know with everything that's going on in, in some states, they can't even meet again. So Father, we thank you of the opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters Lord, we ask and pray that your word would be held up to the highest point this morning. Lord, help me get out of the way, and I pray that your word and your spirit does its job. Uh, And we thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, uh, and the uh, talented Pastor Brian will make sure you get one. Uh, Just disregard he's wearing that red shirt that's, you know, that's, you know, sorry. Um, today was Fellowship Sunday. Um, we put it on Facebook, and I, and I know that you probably didn't even think about it. I mean, yesterday was Fourth of July, right? Everybody was having a great time and doing the, the barbecues and, and the cookouts and all that stuff, and you probably forgot today was Fellowship Sunday. Remember, it's the first Sunday of every month. First Sunday of every month. We come together you bring whatever is on the board over there. Miss Melinda Davis, she always has on the board what we're supposed to bring. It's over there on the coffee shop. Today was American Favorites, which is probably the same thing you had yesterday for your cookout, right? Um, so I talked to her. There's only like two, maybe three things over there. So we decided to go ahead and cancel it. So um, if you did bring the two or three things, enjoy it. You know, you can have it with your family and stuff, but we're going to go ahead and cancel it because there's definitely not enough for everybody to enjoy. Um, so just remember, the first, of, the first Sunday of the month is what we do that on, okay? Um, second thing is, in front of you, in the seat back pockets, is a Connect card. If you're new or you haven't been here very long, um, fill it out. Let us know you're here. Let us know you're visiting, um, and we'll contact you and see if there's any way we can bless you. Um, and it lets us know what your needs are. You can put prayer requests on it. You can put praise reports on it because we do pray over those Connect cards. So fill it out. Stick it in that uh, silverish color box right there on the wall. That's, that's where we put our tithes. We don't pass a plate here. We believe uh, as the Lord leads you, he'll lead you to put it in the box. So take that Connect card and just stick it in there, and we'll, we'll pray over it, and we'll, we'll contact it during the week. Um, Again, uh, our senior pastor, Tim Romero, and his family are having a great time up in the mountains in Montana. I believe they're in Montana, right, right now? Um, he's there on kind of a vacation slash seeking the Lord on just how we do things here. I, I mentioned it last week. Um, Tim really feels a burden in his heart that we need to kind of change the way we do things. And, you know, if, if that's what the Lord wants to do, then we need to have clarity on what he wants us to do. So... I'm asking that we partner with him. Be in prayer for the next three weeks while he's gone. And just seek the Lord. That way we know exactly what the Lord's putting upon our hearts. Because we want to glorify him. We don't want it to be the same thing the way we've always done it. Just because this is the way we did it, right? So partner with him and, uh, and pray with him. And I, 
If, if you're watching him, I'm sorry, but I got to share this. He, uh, he put on Facebook last night, you know, the campfire, and they're, they're roughing it. I mean, they're doing the, the hammock sleepers and the tents and, you know, fishing for your food and stuff. I mean, and on, on Facebook, he put, you know, fishing for food, not going to stop until I catch something, and then a few other things, and then it said, headed for pizza down, down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I had to share that. Yeah. Headed for pizza down the hill. Anyway, I hope and pray that Tim, you, you catch a lot of fish today. So with that, if you would uh, rise up, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, last week, I taught the whole chapter 8. This week, it's only verses 1 through 19, so it should be better. So open your uh, Bibles with me to uh, Daniel chapter 9, uh, and we're going to read the first first couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer again. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for your word. It truly, Lord, illuminates our life. It is, Lord, that, that lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And we ask and pray, Lord, that right now your word would do its work and that the Holy Spirit would direct us and lead us and that you would be the teacher and that our ears would be open and our hearts would be ready to receive for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a little background. If you remember, last, last week we went, again, through all of chapter 8. Um, and if you remember, uh, in the third year of the Babylonian king, uh, Belshazzar, he had that dream, right? Um, and it was of the different uh, animals, the ram and the goat and all that stuff. And that was in chapter 8, referring to the Medo-Persian Empire and then also the Grecian Empire that was going to come after them. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and it was describing what would happen, and it was all related to the, the, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar saw. Remember that statue, the, the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver and the, the belly and the thighs of brass and the legs of iron and the toes, which we'll get to next week, okay, that, that iron mixed with, with clay. So it all relates together. And then also I want you to remember in chapter 5, Pastor Tim was teaching um, that King Belshazzar was having that big old rager party, right? It was at the end of his empire, and they had holed up in the city of Babylon. It was kind of like the last refuge of the Babylonian empire, and it was, it was impenetrable. I mean, they knew. I mean, you weren't going to get into the city. The walls were so thick and so high, it couldn't be sieged, right? But there was a river that ran through it, um, and there were um, iron according to historians, there were iron bars that went down into the water that, were the, that had locks on them. So there's no way. I mean, they didn't have Navy SEALs at the time, you know, with scuba gear, right? So for anybody to get down through there and to try to get rid of those locks, you know, you were going to drown, right? So I say all that remembering that while they were in the midst of this party um, and uh, King Belshazzar brought in all of the... Um, um, the, the cups and the things that were used in the service of the Lord in the temple that they brought with them when they destroyed uh, Jerusalem, right? They started drinking out of those cups. And all of a sudden, if you remember, that, that mysterious hand with the writing on the wall, right? And it declared to him, 
you know, you've been numbered, and tonight's the night. And, of course, what happened, we know from history that that very night is when the Babylonian Empire fell and the Medo-Persian Empire took its place. And, as a matter of fact, it was Cyrus the Great, King Cyrus, that we're going to talk about today, that was the one that came in and conquered, conquered that city that night without a battle. Remember that. It was without a battle. Now, we do have a timeline. Um, may help you kind of get the, the numbers a little bit better. Um, I think we have a timeline. There it is. Okay. And I, I want you to basically look at the bottom line. And you can see in 605, uh, that's when the, the, the siege of Jerusalem really started and they, they went into captivity. And you can follow the timeline all the way over until 536 when it was all said and done. So this, chap, this timeline is about the end of the Babylonian captivity, and it really goes into the first couple of years of the reign of Darius the Mede. And remember, the term Darius, which Tim mentioned a few weeks ago, isn't an actual name. It's a title, more of. Uh, his real name was Syaxeres II. Can you say that fast, quickly? Syaxeres II. I actually had to get online, go to uh, the definition, the dictionary, and click on pronunciation because I had no idea how to pronounce that. Um, but we're just going to call him Darius. It's going to be a lot easier. Uh, again, on the timeline, 539 B.C. is when Cyrus the Great conquered the city of Babylon. And Darius, according to what we just read, was made ruler. Now, that shows that there was something, somebody in authority over him. Remember, the Medo-Persian Empire had two horns. Remember from last week? The Medo-Persian Empire, the ram, had two horns. So the first horn was a, a, a king, and the second horn was a larger larger horn, and that was the, the prominent king. So we had Darius the Mede, and then we had Cyrus the Great, right? So he was made over ruler of the Babylonian, and he died probably two to three years later when Cyrus the Great uh, took total control over the empire. And I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, it's very possible that when Cyrus came in and took over the whole realm, that Daniel... Um, read the prophecies to King Cyrus. The prophecies of who, who was coming to him. Isaiah 44. I want you to look at that. Isaiah 44. And it's verses 24 to 28. Now, this is a little bit of reading, but I think it's important. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and who formed you from the womb. Now, he's speaking to a person, Right? I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, to the cities of Judah, you shall be built now, when that prophecy was, was done, they were in captivity, right? It was Jeremiah. I mean, they, well, no, it was before. It was 150 years before that, sorry. Um, so to them, when they were hearing these prophecies, uh, in the time it was written, they were like, what are you talking about? We're, we're fine. Why is our, our, our city going to be rebuilt? We're, we're doing okay. So going farther, he says, um, and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your waters? And this is the important part. Who says of Cyrus, now this is in Isaiah, he is my shepherd, 
and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. And then I'm going to quickly go into Isaiah 45, and it says, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, mentions him again by name, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates shall not be shut. That could be a reference to the, 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 the steel, the bars that were underneath. It could also refer to the big gates that opened up into the city. So that the gates will not be shut, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break the pieces into pieces, the gates of bronze, and cut the bars of iron. I mean, I, I truly believe the Lord himself was the one that opened up those doors to King Cyrus in Babylon. That you may know that I am the Lord, who have called you by name. And then in verse 13, he says, I have raised you up in righteousness and will direct all his ways. And he shall build my city and let my exiles go free. Now remember, these, these prophecies of Isaiah were 150 years before Cyrus was even born. Now that's, that's a fact that outside of biblical um, evidence, it's a historical fact of when these things were done. 150 years before Cyrus was even born. It must have been amazing when Daniel came to Cyrus the Great and said, here, I want you to read what was written of you. You were called by God Almighty by name to do his will, and you are going to take over. It must have blown him away. It'd be kind of like 15 years ago, President Trump will be in office in 2016. And you would go, oh, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. But what if they went back 150 years and somebody said there's going to be a person. By the, and you, you, you fill in the line in our timeline. You know, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, whoever it is, 150 years before it happened. That is the hand of God. And that's why last week the, the title was Keep Calm, God's in Control. Right? Well, he is in control. And he moves people and he moves nations to fulfill his will. So keeping up with our timeline here in, in 538 B.C., some say it's 539, but remember, he, he took over in 539, and it was during that first year, um, which could have been the second year, the way they do things, uh, there was actual decree by Cyrus to release the captives to go back to their, their land and to rebuild the city. And we find that in another area of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah filled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. So, I mean, there, that's pretty amazing. Now, remember, I always like to bring up stuff that shows you it's not just the Bible that says these things, because history is his story, right? History is his, the Lord's story. Um, and I want you to look up on the screen, and you're going to see the cylinder of Cyrus. Now, we just talked about this decree, right, that Cyrus made this decree. 
Well, there is an actual cylinder of Cyrus, and it's, it's pretty cool. It was done in cuneiform writing, um, and it was basically kind of a mud that was done and, and plastered over, okay? Um, it's an unbiblical evidence that the Bible is true. During uh, the excavations in Babylon in 1879, a gentleman by the name of Hormuz Rassam, who was a Chaldean Christian, which I thought was interesting. Um, he, they found this, um, this cylinder, right? And they found it in Mosul. Does anybody, re- does that sound familiar? Nineveh. It's, it's, Mosul is modern, is Nineveh. That's where he found it, okay? Um, and it's a barrel about, about eight inches, nine inches long, and it turned out to be the famous inscription of King Cyrus the Great, which tells in the king's own story his conquest of Babylon. The cuneiform text uh, is impressed in the cylinder, and it talks about Marduk seeking a righteous man. Now, who's Marduk? Not quite sure. Um, and it says, then pronouncing Cyrus as the one destined to rule the world. And it records how Babylon was taken without battle, how Cyrus was welcomed by the people, and then that he gave a royal edict that the captives were to be released and permitted return to their lands and restore their sanctuaries. So, is the Bible true? Well, history says it is. The very timeline that we were talking about is actually depicted in something that was, oh, a couple centuries, well, more than a couple centuries, right? Over 2,000 years old. Because this was done in 536 B.C. They call it B.C.E. now, before Christian era, but it's before Christ, 536 B.C. Okay, so here's our background. So we kind of know what's going on, who's in charge, what's happening. And so now we're going to get into the text. And there's two basic things that we're going to focus on today. Number one is Daniel's life of purpose. Daniel's life of purpose. And then the second thing is the actual prayer of Daniel itself. Now, in in verse 1, I mean, we've already talked about who Darius was, right? So we'll just kind of pick it up in verse 2. In verse 2, it says, again, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the numbers of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations. Now, it says he understood. Understood. Um, That word understand or understood is the Hebrew word bayin, B-I-Y-N, bayin. And it means to discern understand, or to consider or show oneself diligently. The last part, to consider or show oneself diligently. So I went to the dictionary, and I know what diligent is, but I wanted to see the actual term. And it said, um, the dictionary defines diligent as constant effort to accomplish something. Attentive and persistent in doing anything. I'm going to say that again, constant effort to accomplish something, and attentive and persistent in doing anything. He had purpose. Daniel's life was a life of purpose. How many times have we heard people say, I just, I don't know what my purpose in life is. What am I here for? Well, Daniel knew what he was here for. He had a purpose, and that purpose was to honor the Lord from an early age, and we'll kind of get that into that in a little bit. But be, before we go any further, I want you to remember that any wisdom, any knowledge, any understanding 
of Scripture is not because of our great intellect. It's not because we're so smart that the Lord had to use me to bring things to people's minds because I'm all that in a bag of chips, right? No, okay? Any understanding is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, we need to remember that. So we don't have any special insight. It's the Holy Spirit that comes upon us and gives us wisdom. So with that in mind, again, Daniel understood, right? He came to understand because he was diligent in seeking the Scriptures. He was putting effort, and he was persistent in searching out God's Word. Now, remember in chapter 1 when um, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah right, got into Babylon, right? And the king appointed for them their, the daily foods and the wines and stuff, right? Because he wanted to acculturate them to the Babylonian way, right? Get rid of their Jewish culture, get rid of all their dietary laws, basically change their mindset. But what did they do? Did they fall in line and do what everybody else was doing? No. Look at Daniel 1, chapter 8, and we have it up on the screen. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see, Daniel knew from searching the scriptures that he needed to be a man that followed after God with purpose. He purposed in his heart. Now, in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 2.15, we're encouraged to be like Daniel in our effort, in our persistence, in our diligence of the word. It says to be diligent, to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not, does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, think about this. A worker that's ashamed of something, isn't it typically because the boss came around and the worker wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing? They didn't accomplish the task? That's why we're ashamed as a worker, because we haven't fulfilled our purpose. But the Word of God tells us that we don't need to be ashamed. We need to be able to present, present ourselves to the Lord unashamed, because we've been rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, just like Daniel, there's effort, there's persistence, there's diligence in what we're doing. Now, one of my favorite verses um, that shows me how pur purposeful I should be in seeking the Lord is Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13. We all know Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, right? But I love verse 12 and 13. After it talks about how the nation, you know, when it turns back to the Lord, da-da-da-da-da, he'll heal the land, right? Okay? But this is the part that gets me. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen. If we are seeking, he is listening. And you will seek and find me when you search me with all of your heart. See, Daniel's purpose was to seek the Lord diligently with everything he has. Does anybody here know that the Shema of the Jewish men in, uh, in, in, in Deuteronomy, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, right? And it also goes on, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your 
heart, with all your mind and all your soul. See, it's not just a, it's not a cursory, okay, you know, I, I read my one chapter today, I'm good, right? It's not about service last Sunday, so I'll be good for a couple more. Where's the effort, where's the diligence in our life seeking the Lord? Unfortunately, me included, guys, we kind of get in, a, in an attitude of, I'm good with the Lord. But we don't need to have that mindset. We need to understand that we need to be persistent. It needs to be a daily thing where we're, we're going deeper with the Lord. We're constantly seeking Him. That's what the Lord wants from us. You know, and on, on a personal note here, guys, you know, when I read that about searching Him right with all my heart, I fail. I mean, you guys probably don't, but I fail all the time at seeking the Lord diligently with purpose. And what's so cool, I'm going to share something with you here. When I was going over my sermon, and I just finished this section about seeking the Lord and being purposeful, um, there was a a message on the, the church website for our Facebook account. And it was a guy that said, hey, uh, I'm hungry. I need some food. And so I went back, you know, and I said, hey, is it, is it just a meal or do you need something more? And he's, I ain't got no car. Can you help? Yes or no? And I'm like, well, I can't really do it right now. It was like 9 o'clock at night, right, on Friday night. And uh, I said, but you know what? Come by the church on Sunday and we can talk. We have, we have gift cards for the um, um, Kroger here to help people out with food, right? And he was very uh, belligerent with his language. And he's like, nah, ain't happening. That's not what he said, but I'll clean it up, right? Um, he says, I tried, I tried reading the Bible, but I failed too many times. And so I just don't have any hope. I'm going to hell. And so I told him, I said, look, we're, we were all destined for hell until the grace of God saved us by the blood of Jesus. And I told him, you know, Jesus isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for people that are willing to understand that we need his help, right? And so it was just amazing to me that the very thing that I was talking about in in getting ready, here was an opportunity to share with somebody. You know, God is in control. In every action and every aspect and every moment of your day, God is in control of what you're doing. And we talk about wanting to serve the Lord, right? When God gives you an opportunity, step out in faith. You know, you may be like, well, I don't know my Bible enough. That's okay. What you do know, you can share it with others. If all you know, if all you know is I was a sinner and Jesus saved me by his grace, you can share that. I mean, isn't that the gospel anyway? You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to let people see that you're a changed person because of what God has done. So still a side on that one. Um, but for me personally, you know, I, I want to seek him with effort and persistence. I want to be diligent like Daniel. I want to seek him with all my heart. But many, 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 and we could do many, many, many for a long time, times I fail. And then I wind up feeling discouraged. Anybody ever besides me feel discouraged in attempting to seek the Lord and hear from him? I'm the only one. Well, that's good. And then you guys are doing good, right? Um, and I get discouraged because of what I perceive as my lack of commitment to the Lord. My lack of commitment. My lack of purpose, like Daniel. But it's at those times in my failure that the Lord reminds me 
of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's one of our, it's one of our key verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. Through your works, right? No, no, no. By grace you're saved through faith, not of works, not of yourselves, right? It's a gift. And so then I stop and I go, Lord, forgive me for thinking that it was about my ability to get to you. Thank you that you loved me so much and you looked down upon me and knew this boy is going to stink it up his whole life. I need to come down to him and provide a way for him to have fellowship with me. And so I thank the Lord and I say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Increase my faith. Help me to seek you with a heart that is pure. And, you know, I'll tell you guys, it's, it's a daily thing with me. I mean, I fail all the time. Sometimes we, we have a, a perception of people who are um, teachers or pastors that, man, they got it all together. No, we're no different. We're probably most of the time worse, to be honest. Because sometimes, and, and I've shared this with you before, you know, when I, when I was a home church pastor back in Bakersfield, there was a time when I started thinking, you know what? You know, I got this. You know, our home fellowship was large. We had over 20 couples that came. You know, we had a bunch of home fellowships in the church. It was a church of like 1,500 people. You know, and I started patting myself on the back thinking, man, this is the biggest one. You know, we, we must be really doing good. But then the Lord showed me, you know, wrong heart, wrong attitude. And, you know, stepped down for a long time. And it's by his grace and mercy and his forgiveness that he refocuses how we see things, right? And so I don't know where you are today with that. I don't know if you think that you've got it all together or if you think it's all falling apart around me. The whole idea is we look to Jesus for those answers on how to do it, right? Get yourself out of the way and seek him. And when you seek him, he will hear you. That's what we just read. He, it's a promise, guys. You can take it to the bank. He will hear you. Amen? Okay, so nine times out of ten, when I fail, it's typically because I'm not doing something that I should be doing that will help me in my walk. Again, nine times out of ten, I'm not doing something that's going to help me. And by, have I been in the Word like I should be? Am I doing devotionals? Am I hanging around with brothers and sisters that are going to kind of keep me on the, on the path and encourage me and pray for me when I'm having a tough time? Or, you know, laugh with me when things are going good, right? I mean, those are things, right, that we can do that help us. Am I in prayer? Am I making time for prayer? Well, nine times out of ten, when I'm in those times that I'm failing, it's because I'm not. And it could also be, or I am doing something that is hindering my walk. And that's the active part. The first part was inaction. I'm not doing anything. The second part of the nine times out of ten, I am doing something. I'm actively doing something I shouldn't be doing that hinders my walk with the Lord. You know, and don't get mad at me, but think about it. We are in a very social media um, impacted country or world, right? It is so easy to get on your phone, 
and see things and look at things that you should not be looking at. Our TV today, I mean, most of us are a little older here. And we can remember watching Ozzie and Harriet, okay? Get some chuckles, okay. What kind of bed did they sleep in? Twin beds. They're a married couple, yet they wouldn't even let a husband and wife be seen on TV in the same bed. They were twin beds. Well, is that what we see on TV today? <laughs> no, 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 right? Okay. So what am I watching on TV? What kind of movies am I allowing to come in? Remember, your, your eyes and your ears are the gateways to your soul. The eyes and ears are a gateway to your soul. There's a, there's a group called Shaka. They're, they're disbanded. Uh, my, my son and, and daughter-in-law, they know this group. Um, and there's a song. They're kind of a Christian rap, right? Um, there's a song that call, that's called Deliver Us. So if you have an opportunity when you leave today, Google it, and it's Shaka, Deliver Us. And it talks about the generation that we leave, live in, that the media and the music, they're penetrating the mind gates to our soul in our young kids, okay? And in one of the songs, the guy says, we don't call it television, we call it television. So appropriate, and it is so true. So what am I listening to? What am I watching? Are, are those movies or those, those words I'm hearing, are they drawing me closer to the Lord? Or is it creating a wall that is stumbling me? Who am I associating with? Well, this probably doesn't affect too much of us older folks, but the young folks, right? I mean, 1 Corinthians 15.33 used to tell my kids this. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. My mom used to tell me, I'll show you your future by showing you your friends. The people that you hang around with are either going to build you up or tear you down. So you need to be very careful on who you associate with. So Daniel's diligence and his purpose in his life didn't just happen. He determined in his heart to be pleasing to the Lord. He put time, he put effort, he put passion in the things that he was doing because he understood God had a purpose for him. You see, we, we don't just become good at any sport, right? I'm going to give you a little analogy here. Um, you don't become good at golf or baseball or football or tennis. You, you fill in the sport, right? You don't become good unless you put time and effort in honing your skill set. I mean, most of us know who Kobe Bryant is, right? Do you know that Kobe Bryant was cut from his high school basketball team as a sophomore? How many people knew that? Yeah, he got cut. They told him, you're not good enough. Kobe Bryant. So what did that do? Did it, did it devastate him? No, he realized, I need to put more time and effort in perfecting my skill set. Well, guys, with that, with that thinking, why do we think that we can be good believers or followers of Jesus if we're not doing the things that's going to increase our skill set? Meaning, if we're not willing to be diligently seeking the scriptures like Daniel did, if we're not willing to be seeking him in prayer like Daniel did, if we're not willing to submit our daily desires to him, 
how do we think that we can be a great Christian? Well, typically the answer is we're, we're deceiving ourselves. It's a daily walk, and, and I'm going to mention it again. And you know, Ken, if you're not okay with it, I'm sorry. I didn't ask you before. But um, in our men's group, we meet every Wednesday morning. It's called Man Coffee at 6.30, about 45 minutes, so you can get to work if you need to. And we were talking about um, seeking the Lord and, and what we do as, as believers, and, and Ken made, made the comment, you know, every day is an act of choosing to be obedient. Every day. And then I, I, think, I think it was David that said, every moment. So that's the truth. Every moment of your day, you choose to be obedient to what the Lord's calling you to do. You're either going to step into your own, fa- uh, your own flesh or you're going to step into what God's called you to do. And that's about being diligent and being persistent and having a passion not to dishonor the Lord. So then the question is, what do I, what do you need to get rid of in your daily life that causes us to stumble? And what can we do or add to that will increase how we draw closer to the Lord? Well, the whole purpose is to live lives of purpose, right? Whether you're a man or a woman, young or old, you have a purpose. God created you. He gave you abilities. He gave you giftings. You have a purpose to honor him and to glorify him. The choice is, are we going to step out and do it? Are we going to get rid of the things that will defile us and seek the Lord? Or are we going to continue to do what we've been doing every day? That is the choice that we have. And I encourage you guys, be Daniels and Daniela's, I guess. i got to say it that way, right? Okay? Okay, so... Verse 2 continued. Remember, it says that he knew by the books, the Jeremiah the prophet, right? Um, he knew really well the prophecies. Why? Because he was diligently seeking, right? Um, but let's look specifically at Jeremiah 29.10. He says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you, and cause you to return to this place, referring to Jerusalem, right? Now, so he's reading this, right? He's reading the, the, the prophecies. And it's at this time that Daniel read this. It was probably in the first year of Darius uh, the, uh, the Mede. It was still three to four years before the end of the captivity. Three to four years before the end of the 70 years was going to happen, right? And so here we see another example of how Daniel was a man of purpose and diligence by what he immediately did. So he's reading the scripture, right? He's reading in Jeremiah, and he's like, whoa, this is coming to an end. We're getting ready to get out of Babylon and go back to, to Israel, right? So what did he do immediately? Well, that brings us to verse 3. In verse 3 it says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So Basically, basically what happened here is Daniel's like, you know what? I'm going to start praying. It wasn't going to happen for probably three to four more years, but he was a man with such purpose that he said, I'm going to start praying now. Now, anybody parent here? Got a few parents, okay? 
did you start praying for your kids when they became teenagers? Or did you start praying for your kids when they were young? I got a lot of nods, right? Yes. You begin praying for the mercies and the grace and protection of the Lord when they're little because you understand what's coming. So that's the same heart that Daniel had. He knew that God was in control. He read from the scriptures. He knew it was a done deal. This wasn't like, well, God may let us get out. He may not let us get out. It was written in scripture. He knew it was going to happen. Yet he still was praying three to four years before it came to fruition. And that shows his heart. You see, I want to point out here that um, purpose, like Daniel, is always activated by determined action. Purpose is activated by determined action. In other words, unless we put action into our convictions, all we have are good intentions. And we know from the old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So we have to be men and women of God that are, be, are willing to put action to our convictions. I always told my boys growing up, actions speak louder than words. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry for what I did. Okay, great. Your words are good, but let me see by your actions going forth that you really mean you're sorry, right? Of course, that never happened with Jacob. He was a perfect kid. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, forgive me for lying about that. Anyway, um, and that's, what, that's exactly what Daniel did. He put his purpose to action by setting his face toward the Lord, and he began to pray. Now, it says that he made requests to the Lord. Now, that was a cool word there. Um, the word request in the Hebrew is bakash, and it means to seek or search out, and the implication is to strive after. That's the, that's the implication. So it wasn't just like, Lord, thank you for your word. I know you're going to let us out in a couple, three years, so Lord, do your stuff. No, he was striving. He was seeking hard after him. Now, when I was going through my study, and I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was ready to stop right there um, and ask God to forgive me because I don't strive like I should, right? Again, I, I said I fail all the time. Um, but see, Daniel is a great model for prayer. Daniel is a great model for how we live our daily life. Remember when Daniel was um, set up as a satrap or a governor over a lot of the kingdom of the Chaldeans under the Babylonian Empire, right? Um, and it's in Daniel 6. And then, you know, there's the statue, right? And, and all the other governors, right, and uh, advisors to the, to the king knew there's no way we can get rid of this Daniel. His life is a good life. The only way we can bring charges against him is in relation to his God. Isn't that interesting? And so they convinced the king to set up a decree, right, that for 30 days nobody can pray to anybody or any statue except the king. And if anybody did, into the lion's den, right? They thought, yeah, we got him. And why is that? Why is that? Well, look at uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. So I'm going to go back here. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, in other words, the, the edict by the king, right, that was signed, that he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day 
and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You see, those guys knew Daniel is a purposeful, praying man. They knew he did it all the time. And that's why they thought they could get him, right? And then look at verse 16. So the king, the king gave the command and brought Daniel and cast him into the den of, of lions. But the, king spoke, <clears throat> but the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, will serve you. You see, Daniel's life was known by those around him as a devout, praying person. Again, a great role model for us, okay? So going back to uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, he sought the Lord by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes, okay? Now, the word for prayer there is uh, tefillah, and it, the root meaning is to intervene or intercede. In other words, again, a man of fervent praying. It wasn't just, Lord, thank you for our meal. Lord, thank you for the roof over our head. He was interceding. Now, you probably know there's a difference between praying for you know, your daily provisions and praying for a person who's in need. If you have somebody in your family who's sick or some major uh, calamity has happened, you pray a little, little more fervently, don't you? Yeah. When you've lost your job or you come out of the doctor's office and they've just given you the, the diagnosis of you know, the C word, cancer, or whatever it is, your prayers become a little more focused, don't they? Well, see, that's what Daniel was doing. He was fervent. He was interceding for his nation. And then the word supplication there means to entreat or incur the favor. See, he was interceding for the nation and asking or begging the Lord, forgive your people. Shine your face upon them again. Get us out of this captivity. Again, all these words, right? are action words. Daniel was using them in seeking the Lord to bring it into the captivity. So then my question is, what, what is my prayer life like? Is it active in seeking the Lord? Well, if it's not, and if you feel like I do a lot of the times, today is a new day. What you did in the past doesn't matter. You're not defined by your past, right? So if, if, if your life and your prayer life your, your purpose that you, for seeking the Lord isn't what it should be, praise God. If you feel that right now, then all you got to do is stop and go in the other direction. Ask the Lord to increase your faith, like, like I do all the time, and he will answer you. Remember, when you go and pray, he will, he will listen, right? Okay, so the fasting and the sackcloth and the ashes there, um, all symbols of that culture of humbleness, and they were often viewed as disgraceful or, or mourning or repentance. Now, remember, think of Daniel. This dude was a good guy. From an early age, from his teenage years, he was seeking the Lord, right? You know, didn't want to have the king's delicacies. Didn't want to do those things that the world was doing. He purposed in his heart to seek the Lord. And from what we know of him through Scripture... His whole existence was like that. Again, trying to throw him into the, the lion's den because of his purpose in his heart to serve the Lord. You name it, he was an upstanding good guy. Okay? So why did he identify with his nation? It would have been so easy for him to go, you know what, Lord, you know, 
I know they messed up. I've been serving you my whole life. Thank you for keeping me safe. Lord, they need your help, right? No, he identified with them. He put on the sackcloth, which, by the way, is kind of like a really coarse camel's hair material. It's not comfortable. It's not like your polyester or your 100% cotton, right? You put this stuff on, and it feels like you've got chiggers inside your clothes, okay? It's poking and scratching, all right? So he basically was identifying with the sin of his nation as he sought the Lord for their benefit. Now, moving on here in verses 4 through 15, um, we see the prayer that Daniel had, right? So in verse 4, it says, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his comments. See, he, right up front, Lord, you're merciful. Lord, you keep your promises. Lord, I'm going to seek the benefit of my people because of who you are. Now, I'm, I'm going to read some of the uh, sections here between 4 and 15, verses 4 to 15. I want you to listen to these things. Now, this is his prayer, okay? Verse 5, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. Verse 6, neither have we heeded your servants or your prophets. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but shame of face to us because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Verse 8, to us belongs shame of face because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. And then verse 11, it says, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of, God, uh, of the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And then in verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Verse 15, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Man, I'm telling you, it sounds like my life. Sounds like our nation. Sounds like the world, right? We get into sin and then we refuse to admit it. We make excuses. We point fingers. We, re we refuse to accept that we have done wickedly and that we need the Lord. But praise God that we're here today because we understand that it's by God's grace and mercy, right? Okay. Again, all these words were we's. He identified with the sin of his nation. It wasn't they. It was we's, right? Again, our prayers and our intercessions, even our relationships, our interactions with people around us should never be from a place of I'm better than them. It should always be an attitude of being approachable and being relatable because they need to hear the gospel. Said it a hundred times. Preach the gospel every day and if needed, use words. You see, your life is a living testimony every day of who God is and the grace that he has given you. So be approachable. Those people around you, don't be so, you know, mightier or higher than thou, right? Okay. In verse 11, he talks about the term, the curse and the oath. Now, that basically comes from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And it's 
dialogue basically between the Lord and the people of Israel, telling them, look, if they're, they're conditional blessings. If you do these things, you know, if you seek me and don't depart and don't start serving idols and da-da-da-da-da, then I'm going to bless you as a nation. You know, you're going to plant, you're going to have great harvests, and there's not going to be sicknesses, you know, and, and your enemies will flee from you and all that stuff, right? But then in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 14 through 17, which I want to read, this is the curse part. See, we, the, we see the curse is not, uh, of not following the Lord and the oath or promise the Lord makes to those in rebellion. He says, but if you do not obey me and you do not observe all the commandments, if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform my commandments but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. And those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Or just the opposite. And then it goes on to describe there in uh, uh, Leviticus 26, um, in detail, the punishment of the nation that turns from the Lord. Well, guys, I mean, let's be real. Our nation has turned from the Lord for a long time. We're no different, are we? It's not, oh, that nation is, was really bad, but our nation is good. You see, the same mindset that Daniel had, it shouldn't be they, it should be we. Our nation has turned from the Lord. And I think that we need to look at the condition of our hearts as a nation and to begin to intercede, we as believers, we need to begin to intercede and seek repentance and the forgiveness of the Lord. Otherwise, guys, the same thing that happened to Israel will happen to us. You know, the old saying, if, if, uh, if God doesn't judge this nation for our sins, then he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. And if you, if you look at what's going on in our nation alone today, it, it resembles the nations then, okay? So now in verses 16 through 19, kind of wrapping it up, Daniel now asks the Lord to forgive Israel and to restore the nation and the city. And this is the prayer part, right? Even though Daniel knows from Jeremiah's prophecy that the nation's captivity would be over in a few short years, he still calls, up, calls upon the Lord for his mercy for this rebellious nation. And look specifically at uh, verse 18 of Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse 18. He says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Again, Lord, it's all about you. You're going to do these things. And I want to be praying your word to see it come to fruition. See, that's another aspect of the prayer of Daniel. He was praying the word of God. He read the scriptures. He knew what it said. And then he put action into God's word and began praying the very things that God said was going to happen. You see, there's power in prayer, folks, right? There is power in prayer. We know that God is a healer. How many times have you prayed fervently and somebody 
the diagnosis they had, the doctor says, I don't know what happened, but it's not what we thought, right? I mean, we, we, we know of people who went in for surgeries, right, in our congregation, and they get in there, and what was supposed to be there, it was gone. That's God's mercy and grace, right? So when we pray the word of God over people, there's power. So Daniel, um, Daniel recognizes that the mercy and the forgiveness from the Lord is never dependent on our own righteousness or our own ability to keep his law. It's always his grace, mercy, and forgiveness based solely on his divine nature and his attributes. And Daniel's prayer declares that to us. In Romans 8, verses 6 through 9, we see the fullness of this mercy and forgiveness declared to us as New Testament believers, right? It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, in the midst of your dirty, nasty sins, right, he died for us. How much more than having been justified by his blood shall we be saved from wrath through him? See, the same understanding that Daniel had about God's mercy and forgiveness, we see it in real-life action on the cross of Jesus Christ. So, as we close, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And I'm going to kind of recap it here. From his early years, Daniel was a man that lived his life with purpose to honor God in all that he did. He was diligent. He was persistent in seeking the scriptures. He was a man that prayed like he lived with purpose and fervency. Yet, he was humble, and he had compassion towards others. Now, if you're like me, then you probably feel that you're lacking in how you pray compared to this man, Daniel. And that's good because it means you're sensitive to the Spirit as the Spirit is encouraging you to seek the Lord more, to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. Anytime we think about it all, right, that's, that's when the problem happens. It's when we feel we haven't measured up. That's when the Spirit's working on us. So Jesus is not looking for perfect prayer warriors, folks. He's looking for normal people with hearts that are willing to seek Him and follow Him with a purpose to glorify Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I I pray that it wasn't harsh. I pray that it was received, Lord, in the way that your word intended it to be, to remind us that we don't have it all together and that we need to seek you. We need to have lives of purpose. We need to be diligently seeking your word. Lord, we want to be workmen and and women that are not ashamed when you come and we meet you face to face. Lord, we all want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, we can only do that by the working of your spirit. Lord, it is you that does the work in our lives. We can't work our way to heaven. It's only by your grace and mercy 
and the forgiveness that was brought by your blood that was shed on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. And so, Father, we're going to we're going to open up communion today. And, and I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody that their hearts are hard right now, that they feel they've made such a mess of things, Lord, I pray that you would touch them right now. If you've never made a commitment to the Lord, you can do it right in your seat. It's real simple. The Word declares that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's not a it's not a hard thing. It's just a willingness to understand that you need a Savior. And if you're already in Christ here today and you know that you have not measured up, it's simple. You ask for forgiveness and it's done. The, the, the Word declares that He remembers our sins as far as the East is from the West. All we need to do is come to Him and submit to Him and ask for forgiveness, and He will. So, Father, we, we come before you now and ask that you would be glorified in the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.